Hey everybody, welcome to Let Freedom Reign Podcast, and again, I thank you for tuning in week after week. Now, in our continued mission to grow the value of horsemanship, I'd like to present an opportunity for everybody to give back a little bit. Travis and Mariah Reynolds of Crooked Bar Ranch are having their inaugural ranch rodeo in Shawnee, Oklahoma on June 8th. Now, Travis left a career in law enforcement to begin his journey in ministry. It just so happens that Travis and Mariah were featured in episode 20 of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. So if you want to learn a little bit more about who they are and what they're all about, Go back a few episodes and listen in. Now, the Ranch Rodeo will include four-man teams with three events. The events include cow milking, steer doctoring, and a bunkhouse scramble. The entry fee is $200 a team, and the event will include buy-in jackpots for horseback musical chairs and a five-drum barrel race after the main events. Now, the infamous Chicho Nation will be the man behind the mic calling this great family event. There is no charge for spectating, and if you would like to enter this event, please contact Travis via social media at Crooked Bar Ranch on Facebook and Instagram. Currently, the event is looking for sponsors, and the sponsorships will not only help fund the rodeo, but the ministry efforts alike. The ministry focuses on the future of young adults who need an encounter with Christ in their lives. Please reach out to the folks at Crooked Bar Ranch if you would like to be a part of this amazing inaugural event. I thank you for your support of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life, who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance, and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned, we're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. You know, our guest this week is Native Australian Jody Morton. Now, Jody is a woman on an absolute mission. A few years back, she suffered the loss of two very influential people in her life, both to suicide. During Jody's recovery of the incidents, she made the decision to raise awareness and affect change regarding mental health and depression. Jody originally sent out to travel the Bicentennial National Trail in Australia horseback which is a trailhead that runs along the east coast of Australia and covers approximately 5,300 kilometers, or just over 3,000 miles. After a devastating drought cut her travel short, she then traveled to the United States to take on the Continental Divide Trail. The southern end of this trail starts in Mexico and travels north through five states all the way to Canada. I encourage you all to visit greengoldenblues.com to follow Jody throughout her adventure. I have very much been looking forward to this conversation And we just touched the tip of the iceberg as far as mental health awareness and the efforts people are making across not only the United States, but Australia as well. And for those of you who regularly listen, you know I end every episode with final thoughts. Well, unfortunately, Jody didn't get that opportunity in this episode. Why? She owes all of us a second episode after completing the Continental Divide Trail. Do me a favor this week, after listening to Jody's episode, message us on social media about what you would like to learn from or about Jody in episode number two in the coming months. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Jody Morton. Jody, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you going? I am doing very, very well. I want to take a second before we get rolling with all of this to thank you for making time for us. I know you have a busy schedule and the thousands and thousands and thousands of miles you travel horseback. So, I appreciate you setting a little time aside. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation together, and uh, we'll see how how it goes and and what we learn about you today. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me. I think thousands and thousands and thousands is a little bit of overkill, but I'll take it. Uh, I've done a little bit of the math, so I'm a little bit more educated. I know. How about this? The, the possibility is thousands and thousands and thousands, right? There we are. Can't take credit for something I haven't done yet. Perfect. But I guarantee with your determination and mindset on this, it's only a matter of time with all of it. Oh, well, look, I'm going to do my best. We'll see how it goes. There's a lot of, a lot of miles ahead. Hey, so is life, right? One stride at a time. Uh, exactly. One step at a time. Good stuff. So what is new for you? I know you are currently in the States, native Australian, currently in the States. Uh, what's been going on the last couple of weeks? Oh my gosh. Well, the last couple of weeks, I, uh, I did a small section of the Continental Divide Trail in Wyoming, really small section. Um, and now I have come off um, having a little bit of a break in between that one and starting the next one. And um, yeah, right now I'm just doing like lots of little odd jobs and things that I need to fix, things that I didn't get to do before I started the last little bit. And um, yeah, just getting ready. So we will go into greater detail later on in the show, but explain a little bit about what you got going on. You mentioned a small section of the Continental Divide Trail. Now, this trail is like almost 3,000 miles covering from Mexico to Canada. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about maybe the small section you covered, and, and then later on in the show we'll get why you're covering the distances you're covering. All right, so I am over here in the States to attempt a section of the Continental Divide Trail. I think the official trail is about 3,100 miles, give or take. Uh, I'm aiming to do around about 2,000 miles of that this summer. Um, In saying that, I am working with horses, so anything could happen. I have planned everything out to the tiniest little detail, but um, yeah, don't do that because the first day that you're on trail and you have a plan, it all goes out the window. So, you know, Murphy's Law and all that. Exactly, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about your start with horses. You grew up in Australia, kind of have an English background. Um, We've talked to many guests who have made the jump right from the quote-unquote corporate world and and found their passion with horses and, and left the corporate world and all those stabilities for what might be with horses. So let's just start with your, your background and how you grew up and we'll work to your current mission. Well, yeah, I did. I did make the jump from corporate, but in my case, horses did come first. Um, I was always that really annoying kid growing up that just wanted to go and see horses and pat the horses and be around horses. You're um, not you're not the first on this on the show to disclose that. <laughs> <laughs> well, my parents made this I don't know, great, terrible mistake. It's hard to say depending on which side you're coming from. Uh, when I was 2 years old, they moved into a property that was literally across the road from horse pastures. And I think that's where it all started because I grew up in the city back in Melbourne. I was only about eight miles from Melbourne CBD. And uh, so always that annoying kid that wanted to go and see the horses. And then when I was five years old, my grandpa made the epic mistake of taking me for my first riding lesson. And then it was all downhill from there. As I was saying, there it all fell apart. (laughs) Or uphill. It depends on who you are. Exactly. Dad's still hoping that this is just a phase. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was one of the few parents that was disappointed when I did not find boys in my teens because mum and dad aren't into horses at all, not even a little bit. And I think they were always scared that I was going to come off and seriously hurt myself. That was their fear every day. But um, yeah, made it through without finding the boys. Sorry, dad. And um, then I've kind of been riding on and off since I was five years old. Um, 
I, um, I picked up a horse that had been dumped in the paddocks and then pretty much did not miss a day of seeing him for three years straight. And yeah, mum and dad had their head in their hands saying, oh, well, this is real. And, um, <laughs> and so it is. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how things go. And, um, then I ended up having, there was an adjustment spot that opened up in that pasture and I was able to get a free lease. Um, that was, that one did not go well. Uh, the owner, he was a friend of a friend's horse and they kind of forgot to tell me about his bucking and rearing problem. And as a 15 year old, I had no idea what I was doing. And, um, so I lost my confidence on that and then ended up buying, buying an actual, my own horse. And, um, he was sold to me as a highly educated eight year old that had been there, done that, done pony club, outdoor riders club, trail riding and, I was like, well, perfect. I need something that can teach me instead of me trying to learn while he's learning. And um, 16-year-old me could not leave him because I went and found out that he was, again, skin and bones. And uh, then I brought him home and got the dentist out to check him out. And the dentist told me he is, in fact, not eight years old. He's four years old and he couldn't find any mark of the bit in his mouth. And he told me that he's probably only ever had half a dozen rides on him. And 16-year-old me pretty much cried. But I, I was going to say, <laughs> that's, I was going to say, that's, that's a, it burns in me because I've had the wool pulled over my eyes and deals. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I cannot stand like to my core, cannot stand the dishonesty that goes down in a lot of these, these horse deals. And if people would just be honest and maybe seek the education, sorry, you're going to be out a couple thousand dollars or a thousand dollars or whatever. But, uh, there's a lot of dishonest people that are putting other purchasers primarily you know, more inexperienced riders in very, very bad positions, not only for the human, but for the horse alike, you know, and I've tried, because I struggled with it. I, I was sold a horse that was going to quote unquote, take me to the next level. And it wasn't, but a few months after riding this horse that I found out there's got to be a different way to do business. And we need to chase that, that education. So I very much feel you in that regard. And what a horrible experience to be 15, 16 years old, you know, only a year or two into this and now faced with two horses that were misrepresented tremendously. Yeah. Well, I mean, I still have him 13 years down the line. He's still there. He's back home in Australia living his best life. Good. Yeah. So it all worked out well. He was really pretty. He's a Palomino. He's my little Barbie horse. So. I was going to say, I'm, I'm kind of partial <laughs> to the, to the yellow ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is, he's a Barbie horse in every way, shape and form. But, um, yes. Yeah, so, I guess from then on in, everything was pretty stable. I was just doing dressage lessons every other week and just hooning around, jumping whatever was in the pastures. Um, As my parents weren't into horses at all, um, I didn't really get the opportunity to leave that 30-acre lot of land. We didn't have a vehicle that could tow. We didn't have a horse trailer. And growing up in the city, I didn't really have many friends that were into horses. So it was kind of just the the horse was teaching me most of the time and I kind of learned as I went along. I actually grew up mostly riding up until I was 15 or 16, mostly riding bareback because I couldn't afford a saddle. So nothing like this is not classically trained horse riding by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> this is like a kid hooning around bareback just being like, well, I hope I can stay on. Yeah, it's the epitome, right? If there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I think I was just so obsessed with horses that I, it didn't bother me one iota. I was good. 
but um, yeah, in hindsight, did not really have the exceptional foundation apart from the kick, go, pull, stop type lessons when you're seven years old. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's all worked out. I don't think anyone in my family would have thought that this is what I'd be doing now in my 20s, like going across the States, riding out in the backcountry. But I mean, go with what you feel. Yeah. If your heart tells you, go for it. So then you get into corporate IT, right? And let's talk about some of the challenges with with working in the corporate world. And then there are some life-changing events that took place in this phase of the season of your life that have kind of formed the the desire, the drive that you, you ride on today. Yes, I had two stints in corporate IT. Um, so growing up, both of my parents worked for IBM, which is a relatively large IT company. And um, so... When I was coming home from school, if mom was picking us up, she'd always be on con calls. And I just remember the entire time I was growing up just being like, I am never working for that company. That sounds awful. And so, of course, my first adult job that I get after I finish my master's, actually, no, it was during my master's I started, uh, was working at IBM. So good, keeping that in the family. Well, at least you stuck by your word, right? Uh, yeah, I am never working for or that company. Did lack you want a job? Yes. Yeah, or lack thereof. Um, but I actually had a really good time uh, there because I started out as a marketing intern, but I very quickly got bored of that because I just didn't have enough work to do. So I ended up talking myself into the events side of things. So I started kind of almost writing my own job because I wasn't supposed to be doing all the events, but because I was getting my work done, I was like, do you need help with this and help with this? And I can come to that event and just quote help out. Yeah. And, and was, then run the it show. Was awesome. Yeah. It was so much fun. Um, but so I did that for a, a year and then I, my internship got extended and um, then yeah, I finished up my master's. I was doing full-time work on top of full-time master's, which meant I had no life for a little while. But I got offered a different role within the company, but I'd also been wanting to work on a ranch in the States ever since I was 16 years old. We went to Jackson Hole and I just saw horses hanging around and I was like, that is what I want to do one day. Um, so to my boss's absolute disgust, I turned down a pretty senior role at IBM and quit my job to go and ride horses in Colorado. And um, then that one summer turned into, I think it was three summers, three falls and a winter. So two and a half years later, I finally came back and was like, you know, I should adult at some point. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I tell people. Growing up is the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I feel like I tried that for a bit and I've now regressed. Yes. Hey, we all have our downside here and there, right? It's nothing that you can't recover from. Uh, challenge accepted. I don't know about that. <laughs> but yeah, I came back and then worked for a different IT company, also a relatively large one, Hewlett Packard. Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember coming into that at the start of 2017. I was like, all right, this is it. I'm going to adult. I'm going to adult really well. I've, this is my career progression that I think I'm going to do. I'm going to settle down. I'm going to have this thing called a savings account. It's going to be awesome. And <laughs> Oh, Jody. <laughs> yeah, I know. The naivety of youth. But um, no, I was looking at 
property at one point. Yeah, that's how adulty I was being for a little bit. Yes. And um, then, yeah, things didn't quite go as planned is really where we're at, obviously, because now I no longer working in corporate IT. Yeah. But that's a whole other story, and that starts back in Colorado. So let's get into it. All righty. So I guess in a nutshell, what happened to start this whole thing off was when I was working at the ranch back in Colorado, one of my coworkers and friends passed away, uh, and that was ruled as a suicide. Um, that kind of hit everyone on ranch pretty hard. Uh, it wasn't expected. And uh, so that that affected all of us. Uh, it still it still does. The anniversary of that was very recent. Um, so I, I'm staying with one of my friends from the ranch at the moment. So we've had a good couple of chats about that recently. Um, and I go back to that ranch every year. I, I just can't leave it. It's, it's part of me now. I love it so much out there. It's like home. Um, so I went back the following year just as a vacation from my now adult job. And while I was out there, I have, people that I call grandparents and technically they're no blood relation, but that's the role that they hold in my life. Therefore that's the title that they get. And so while I was over back at the ranch the following year, my grandmother passed away from suicide as well. And, um, unfortunately no one told me when I was overseas, um, that happened the day that I hopped on the plane to go to the States. And then four weeks later, the day before I came home, I got the phone call letting me know what had happened. So Unfortunately, I um, I missed the funeral. I am kind of glad that that decision got taken out of my hands. I'm really not sure what I would have done. That was a really um, tough one. But when I came home, I didn't want to drive straight up to my grandparents' place. That was four and a half hours away. Um, so after coming off a flight from the States, I thought, well, it's going to be more responsible to actually have a sleep. And then I got the next morning. And, oh, my gosh, it's like one of those things where one thing goes wrong and another thing goes wrong and another thing goes wrong because in the time that it took me to get home and I went to bed and then 4 o'clock the next morning got up to drive out to my grandparents' place, my boss in all of this back at work was incredible. I called him and just said, I'm not coming back into work on Monday. And he's like, go and do whatever it is that you need to do. Which is incredible Uh, support in its own right, right? He is just a, one of the most incredible humans. It's amazing where you can get support from where you just do not expect it. Yeah, absolutely. But he was key in holding me all together with this. But <laughs> I got home and then in between me getting home and me getting up there at 8.30 the next morning, uh, my grandmother's horse had passed away. <laughs> so I get up there. My grandpa has pneumonia because he hasn't been looking after himself through all of this. There's... A, well, dead horse in the pasture that I needed to deal with. And there was everything was just an absolute mess. And I felt really, really horrible. I felt like a terrible human because the, for the days that I was there, just sorting everything out, I didn't cry. I didn't feel any emotions. Everything was just numb business. I was like, you do this, you do this, you're going to the doctor, come with me, we're doing this. And I just felt like a terrible human. And uh, it wasn't until I drove back later that week, again, four o'clock start because I was trying to get into work at a decent time. 
and I was questioning what was wrong with me. <laughs> and then I got into work, opened up my laptop and just lost it. Absolutely lost it. It's like, yeah, damn, I was just broke. And, um, see, that's where, that's where my boss comes in because he was having a tough time at that point in time as well. His daughter was in the hospital and really unwell. So the poor guy, he was sleeping at the hospital at nighttime and then during the day had to come into work and deal with me. (laughs) But, uh, he was just incredible. And also while all this was going down, my parents went overseas on vacation for two weeks, but they didn't have any cell service. So I couldn't talk to them either. And what ended up happening was I got sucked into this world. It was horrible because I was just questioning everything that had happened. And I was just making up this dialogue in my head of all the conversations that my grandma and I could have had or should have had and what she would have said if I'd said this. And I was analyzing and overanalyzing all of the, like everything that we'd done um, right before she passed away. Uh, she was staying at my parents' place. Well, Gary and Catherine were both staying at my parents' place. And so I got sucked into this world where it was, I was just asking all of these questions that I was never going to have the answers to. And it was really unhealthy because not only was I just playing the blame game and the what if game, I was like, what if I'd done this? Like, it's my fault. I should have said this. It, it's not only unhealthy, but it takes you away from the present. And so I played that game for a while. That was, that was really silly. But then one day I was thinking, well, rather than just sitting here feeling sorry for myself and making myself feel worse, why don't I try and do something about it? And the link between my friend from the ranch and my grandma was that they were both really into horses and they were both from rural areas. And I'd heard whispers of this trail that ran pretty much right up along the east coast of Australia. It goes for 3,300 miles or 5,330 kilometers. And I thought that might be the perfect tribute to them because I can do it on horseback. It's a non-motorized trail, so you can only walk it, bike it, or hike it. So I thought I'll do that on horseback. I'll go through rural towns, and then I'll start talking about mental health and trying to get the conversation going. And then that just snowballed and all of a sudden I'd quit my corporate job, my adult job, and then was starting to plan this huge, what was supposed to be a year long ride. Which the logistics to, to even accomplish that goal, regardless of the motivation had to be absolutely overwhelming. But in listening to you go through your journey, you make several great points that I'd like to kind of develop a little bit more. So I personally lost my first friend to suicide when I was 14 years old. He obviously had a lot going on in his life. Uh, we think it was a relationship issue that kind of motivated or maybe like tipped the scales for him. But none of us really knew, right? And I remember feeling a lot of those same emotions that you described, right? There's this feeling of shock. There's this feeling of, of loss, right? You place so much blame on yourself as a result, in my opinion, of hindsight bias. You know, you talked about overanalyzing the situation in your relationship with your grandmother. You know, should I have done this? Should I have said this? Could I have, you know, taken advantage of this opportunity? Which, I mean, you go through life and you look at, let's look at this situation uh, when we're not talking about suicide. I mean, you place hindsight bias on anything and it's completely unfair, right? 
you're placing mm-hmm. you're placing judgment on a set of circumstances that you have no idea about you might have little knowledge about and and you don't know what the result is going to be so if hindsight bias is fair in this regard it's absolutely unfair when you start to overanalyze or quote unquote place blame on yourself for another individual's decisions. Oh, yeah, exactly. Another point I want to discuss is that, you know, you you felt you felt terrible or you you described yourself as feeling as a terrible human being because you didn't cry. And that point strikes to so much that we've spoken about on this show when we talk about stress conditioning, becoming overwhelmed with life. You know, I think we go into our own version of fight or flight. You put yourself in survival mode and and you correct me if any of this is inaccurate, but there's just so many tasks that have to get done, right? So you suppress your emotions, you do what you need to do as far as handling business, but you never really give yourself the opportunity to metabolize all the stress or the feelings or the pain that are a result of, of your given season in life. And at some point, it's going to well up to a point where it hits a tipping scale and it's going to come out. For you, it was opening up that laptop, right, and just dumping all the emotion all in one shot. And I think a huge motivator in this show is is with every guest testimony, there's a different perspective, right? There's a different way, there's a different method, there's a different theory on approaching these various life stressors. And part of my biggest goal in this is to help people along who might be struggling, you know, hopefully they can pick up a small bit of information from each and every guest. But one of those is giving yourself time and or the ability to feel, right? To feel emotion because when you bury it deep down inside, it doesn't fix it. It doesn't get rid of it. It's going to come to life and it needs to be worked through. So why not hit it head on? Yet, in the same breath, it's very difficult to face some of these emotions, you know? Yeah, and I think you hit on a really good point there about like allowing yourself to feel it. And over over time, I've gotten better at this. So there are a couple of days when I was out on trail back in Australia. Um, I know we haven't touched on this yet. I already have done 600 miles in Australia. And then I got cut off by drought, which is why I'm now over here in the States. But we'll get to that soon. But there were days there where I was just feeling really down. And it's a beautiful place to be, but you mean you have your ups and your downs, just like absolutely everything in life. But now rather than trying to fight it, I've gone the opposite way and I try and embrace it. And I have a couple of songs that just make me ball. Like they <laughs> are guaranteed. I have a couple of yeah, songs on my little playlist. I'm like, these are my sad songs. And then I will listen to them and I will get it all out. And afterwards I'm like, whoa. I feel better now. But it's, yeah, it's such a healthy approach, you know, and I had a conversation with a supervisor years ago and we were talking about just stress conditioning, right? How you, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, folks in in law enforcement, military, emergency services, right? Uh, You have to perform because there's times when your decision making and literally seconds are are dependent on whether or not people survive. Uh, So you can't panic, right? You can't have fear. You can't let any of this stuff overwhelm you, nerves, anxiety. You have to bury it. You have to do your job. And unfortunately, you have 10, 12 hours of this if you're you're working in an emergency service, or you might have months of it if you're military and in a deployment, you know. And the point that you make there as far as your, your emotional songs is, he posed a question to a group of us, you know, have you ever been just sitting there watching a commercial and background music comes on and you just start crying for no reason? 
and everybody raises their hand, right? We've all had those experiences and we discussed that's that's your emotion trying to work its way through, right? That song or that visual triggered something and your body's trying to get rid of some form of stress or some form of emotion. So ever since that time, you know, I, I try to allow myself moments of reflection where if I go through stress or if I go through even positive experiences, right? Like enjoy it, feel the feeling and let it go, you know? Yeah. And I think sometimes, especially nowadays with social media, everyone's trying to portray their best life. And I've been guilty of that, but I'm trying very, very hard to show everyone the ups and the downs on my current ride. But everyone just wants life to be this one great giant ball of fun. And realistically, that's not what it is. It's not supposed to be. And it's never going to be as perfect as a lot of people on social media say that it is. And I think we get caught up in that sometimes and we compare ourselves to others and say, well, this person has the absolute perfect life. I wish I could be them. But it's, you need to be really, really careful of what you take in and what you compare yourself to because it's not realistic. It's like when you compare yourself to, I don't know, the models in the magazines. It's not realistic everyday life. And I think we need to remember that part of life is you got the ups and the downs. And without the downs, then the ups are never going to be as sweet. You don't appreciate them as much. Um, so I think, yeah, we really need to embrace all of it, feel all of it. So then you can also feel the contrasting highs. Absolutely. And when you talk about, you know, the feeling of sorrow and the kind of the feeling of poor me and going through all the circumstances that you, you had went through, you come to a point where you say, I'm going to do something about it, right? I'm going to put my boots on the ground and we're going to take strides to better ourselves and better our situation. For me, that's been part of this podcast, right? The horse has done some incredible things for me in working through emotions and working through stress and just working through life in general, right? Not only personally, but professionally, my faith, all of that. So for you, I know you kind of touched on it as a tribute to your your friend and your, your grandmother, but what really, what was the burning desire or what was the drive inside of you that said, I, I got to do something about it. I got to help other people. Well, one of the topics that I've given a lot of thought to is that when you talk about mental health, the focus is really on the people that are directly experiencing it, the ones that yeah, are being directly affected. And I think sometimes, not always, but sometimes the people that are indirectly affected kind of get forgotten, the ones that are left behind or the ones that have to help on a day-to-day basis. And, um, like those guys get hit just as hard, but the focus is usually on those that are directly experiencing it. And I wanted to bring awareness to that as well, because mental health isn't just about those that are having that tough day. Mental like health awareness is about the people that are having a tough day, the people that have been there for someone else's tough day, the people that have fought and have won or are still fighting. And that's what this whole ride is about. It's not just about it's not about my friend and my grandma anymore. And it was initially, that's my catalyst that just started this whole thing. And that that's evolved now. And I just really want to bring awareness to the the big picture, not just one certain aspect of it, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. So let's develop, you came up with this goal of the Bicentennial National Trail, right? You talked about it, it's mm-hmm. 3,300 kilometers, or excuse me, 3,300 miles. 5,300 kilometers there on the east coast of Australia. What was 
in planning this, right, and actually getting out and, and helping folks, what were some of your strategies? What were some of your experiences? Well, my, my strategy, we'll start there. My strategy on this was really just to get the conversation going around mental health. And even if that comes from, oh, my gosh, did you hear that, like, that insane girl that's going to try and ride like 3,300 miles across Australia? And if that starts the conversation going, then brilliant. Because my theory is if we can start talking about mental health and making it a topic that we are more comfortable discussing, then that's going to give more people the opportunity to really think about it, really explore like any issues that they have or friends might be having and then give them more of an opportunity to say, you know what, I think I need help because at the moment we shy away from this topic as something that's really, really uncomfortable. And because it's uncomfortable and we have so much stigma associated with it, I personally feel that this is one of the things that's stopping people from reaching out and getting help or feeling like it's okay to ask for help. And, yeah, it's an uncomfortable topic, but the more we talk about it, the more comfortable we are talking about it and then the more opportunities we have for people to say, you know, I'm not quite right. Um, So there's this other account that was started by one of my friends, Ben, and it's called The Naked Farmer and it's based out in Australia. And so how it started was he put up a photo of himself and um, I think I think he said he was like sitting in a bucket of lentils or something and it looked like he was naked and he's like, overnight I just got all of these new followers and that evolved into something where whereby now people send in a whole bunch of photos of them doing farming something related with farming. They could be like out feeding the cattle or doing hay, but they're all like butt naked really. But, um, yeah, classy. <laughs> it's classy. It's always classy. But R- his real, thing- <laughs> real good for the beef industry of produce in Australia, right? <laughs> oh, great. This is how yeah, we are killing it right now. But um, his thing is it takes guts to get your gear off just like it takes guts to talk about mental health. And I think that's brilliant because he alone has done an incredible job in getting the conversation going around rural mental health because back home, like, we have a real problem with it. Uh, what do you think that problem stems from, if you don't mind me interjecting? Well, uh, there are so many factors. But uh, I, I don't want to say, like, this is the reason, this is this. But one of the big factors is that we are having such a terrible drought back home in Australia. And that's one of the reasons, well, that is the reason I came off the Bicentennial National Trail after just 600 miles because the drought conditions just wouldn't let me continue. On one of my last days, I had eight river crossings, all by six of them were bone dry. And it was just scary how dry the land was getting. But the drought is, it has such a huge effect because there's no feed, which means you're going to have to get feed in, supplement that. So financially that's tough. But just looking out and seeing like all these animals just struggling like day in day out farmers have had to be had to put a lot of their animals down it's just it's just a toxic environment and i know like i've been told like this is part of farming you have the good years and the bad years but like they would take a toll on anyone absolutely so Ben's just doing such an incredible job and he's really done well in getting the conversation going and he is the epitome of what I want to do when it comes to talking about mental health. But he and I both, we um, 
we get people writing to us and sharing their stories and it's absolutely humbling some of the messages that I've been getting from people just sharing their stories and Ben had one and he's put it up on his site and it was um, a guy from Victoria, the state that I'm from and I'll just read it out really quickly because uh, it's it's just so inspiring. So he wrote, he said, G'day, my name is Billy, a 20-year-old sheep farmer from southern Victoria. I know I suffer depression. I may not admit it, nor have I talked to anyone about it until today, and it's all because of the naked farmer. And he said, I showed my best mate a photo from the naked farmer. We had a good laugh about it at first, and then we talked about what the naked farmer is doing, and the conversation continued. He ended up telling me his story with his anxiety and depression. I never knew. We have been best mates since kindergarten. But yet we never knew either of us were going through the same thing. I was gobsmacked. I cannot explain the amount of weight that has been lifted from my shoulders. This is the reason I've been feeling sick. This is the reason why I'm always so tired. I never really knew the signs myself. And so just if you can get that conversation going then and you can get results like that, then everything is so worth it. Like This is why we do what we do. And I've had messages as well. I had a message from a girl just saying, look, I'm really struggling. And I wrote back and said, this is a great first step, just being able to admit it out loud and acknowledge that something isn't right and you want to take steps to make yourself feel better. That's brilliant. I'm not a trained counsellor. I can't offer you any advice personally, but I can point you in the right direction with resources. And um, I said, how's everything going? She's like, well, you're the only person I've told. And just that in itself is, like I said, ridiculously humbling. But she wrote me back about a week after that saying, after your encouragement, I've reached out, I've told my family, I've told my parents they've been an incredible support and now we're taking steps forward um, to just get help. And this is, this is why we do what we do. This is exactly it. That's it in a nutshell. And when I initially set out to do this and start talking about mental health, my goal was – if I could help just one person, all I need is just one person to get help instead of taking the same route as my friend and my grandmother, then this whole thing, this whole project is just a resounding success. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm not going to know unless people message me and tell me that I've made a difference. And so right now I'm just kind of hoping that, hoping that this is the case. But when I get messages like that, it's just a reminder that what I'm doing right now at least for one person, is making a difference. And for your goals, they absolutely 100% align with the, the mission of this podcast. And when you started following the show some months ago, I try to do as, as good a job as I can in keeping up with followers and engagement and things of that sort. But I looked over your page, I saw what you were doing. I was thinking at some point, it'd be great to have have you on the show, yet you're always walking thousands of miles on horses. So uh, your cell phone reception probably is going to be terrible. No, but in all honesty, it's great to have you on the show. And and a lot of that was, was my mission here with this podcast. I think our country's, for me, right, and my motivating factors, our country's law enforcement, military, you know, these individuals, and, and there's all these stigmas and arguments, right, that mental illness is socially unacceptable, right? And... Mm-hmm. We can't talk about it. And, you know, law enforcement, military, well, they signed up for it, you know. And it's like nobody signs up. Nobody signs up 
to take on gunfire. Nobody signs up to watch their buddies get blown up. Nobody signs up to put together children that have been abused, dismembered in, in, in vehicle accidents, all the traumas that are associated with it, right? And all of these people are human beings just like each and every one of us. So where do we think, where do we think that these people can take on the amount of trauma that they can take on and be okay with it? it it's going to affect everybody in, in their own form, in their own way, right? That's why we talk about pain and trauma is so relative. And, and I think there's been such a stigma placed on getting clinical help. And I, I'm not denying the fact that sometimes folks need, they need medical help, right? They need mm-hmm. help higher than just talking to a friend. Mm-hmm. However, that being said, being there for somebody, allowing somebody to voice their concern or their opinion or their feelings, honestly and wholeheartedly free of judgment, oftentimes starts that first stride. Oh, absolutely. Because just talking about it, I mean, we went over that in that message that Ben had received and that just talking about it and being able to share it was a huge weight lifted. And a great point in that post is, is that when you start to talk about it, you realize you're not alone or you're not as alone as projected or, or maybe thought, right? There's hundreds and thousands and millions of people who have gone through maybe similar experience. It might not be the same exact experience, but similar experience or have had the same feeling, you know? And for me, the horse has been the vehicle to kind of start that recovery process, right? There's so many lessons that can be learned through horsemanship that have a direct impact on perspectives and approaches that people can take in their life to start the patience and kindness and forgiveness in themselves. Yeah. And like going back a step, you can have one event and 10 people experience that event. You will have 10 different reactions. No Absolutely. one is exactly the same Yes, and things will affect people differently. And that's not, it's not a strength. It's not a weakness. It's just, it's the way it is. And if some people need to get a little bit of assistance from that, then that's totally fine. And I think the funny thing is, is that if, I don't know, I came into work with a broken arm, then it's like, it's tangible. You can see it, but everyone's like, Oh, like when are you going to get better? It's okay. Uh, let's sign your cast. Everyone make a joke out of it. And it's so widely accepted because it's a broken bone. It'll heal. But I think sometimes people forget that mental health can be just like that. But again, it's not something that's just got a like a fix that's going to be okay. I like to think of sometimes the mental health as just say chronic back pain, for example. And I just want to go back and say that not every mental health episode has to be chronic, but just for the sake of my argument right yes. now, chronic back pain, you know, some people might benefit from massage. Some people might benefit from medication. Some pe- people might benefit from acupuncture. Just like with physical pain, there's no one fix for like mental a mental health episode. It's completely individual, which is why I think getting help is going to be so beneficial because something that worked for one person might not work for someone else and just being able to go and explore your options. I mean, there's there's options and – one thing I learned uh, recently, I did a mental health first aid course, which was really amazing. Everyone should do that. I actually learned so much. But something that I did learn was that your GP is actually a really, really great first step. And personally, I never would have thought of going to the GP. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. But 
apparently, at least in Australia, one of the main reasons for GP visits now is to make mental health plans. But your GP is going to be able to be there to say, all right, what's going on? And then they're going to be able to point you in the right direction, whether it be the equivalent of acupuncture or massage or whatever. And that's just so cool yeah. now yeah. that you've got mental health plans. Yeah. And But everything is then going to be able to be tailored individually, which I think is brilliant and i don't know why i didn't think of it before i did that mental health course but it just makes so much sense and it's and it starts to develop a little bit more concise success you know and and a huge hurdle in mental health especially when you start uh talking about medications and things of that sort is it you know so much of it is dependent on how an individual responds to a medication so you talked about you know 10 people experiencing the same form of trauma having different perceptions it's the same way with the medication, right? You can give 10 individuals with the same diagnosis, the same medication, and you're going to get 10 variances in response, right? For some people, it might work great. And for 10 other people, you know, they might not respond as well to the medication or have any response at all, you know? So there has to be, I think the support represents the persistence, right? Mm -hmm. The support around an individual keeps them going stride for stride and keeps them moving forward to find that resolution or combinations of resolutions to to truly seek success. Yeah, and I've been really wanting to share a couple of the stories that people have written in to me um, with because I think one of the other things that we sometimes forget when, like you said before, you feel like you're just completely by yourself and nobody else is going to understand but you never know who you're going to inspire to get through a bad day by sharing your story. So someone else might be going through something that they feel like they're completely alone for. And then upon hearing your story and your success with getting through or just your experience with um, like fighting that every day, you never know who you're going to inspire to fight their own bad day. And that's the greatest part with, with social media, right? Is that and and I have received very similar messages through through our social media avenues. Is that you know how on God's earth are we able to have an effect on somebody in a different state, somebody in a different country, different time zone, all over the world, right? And social media is a blessing in that regard, and it just increases our reach or our ability to reach you know tenfold. And I think I think it's incredible your mission of just starting the conversation because. The conversation represents the first step, and you will never finish any race without taking the first step, right? And it's mm-hmm. so, so important, and I think it's absolutely incredible. You have started the course in Australia. You have now moved over to the States and taking on the Continental Divide Trail. But I want to, I want to ask, or I want to learn more about, in your experiences, whether they're, they're on trail or these moments of rest that you have, what have been some of the more like influential experiences that you have, whether it's talking to an individual, a story heard, maybe it's even a revelation in your own regard while you're in saddle. Uh, I think one of the standout things from starting this has just been the absolute kindness from strangers. And it, it blows my mind every day, even just recently in Wyoming, uh, the the kindness of people that I met was just, again, just humbling. There are such amazing people in this world, and I think one of the fastest ways to lose faith in humanity is to watch the news every night. Um, <laughs> I second that. <laughs> <laughs> but, and the, I'm like, 
to the contrary, one of the fastest ways to get faith in humanity is to go out on this ride and meet people and just see like what they will do for people that they don't know. So for example, um, the other week I was down in Wyoming, I did a section of the red desert and, um, I came off trail early. So I was meant to do, uh, well, a stretch, a couple of days. And, um, so I had sorted out the logistics. So I had like a truck and trailer at my end trailhead and I ended up coming off early and I came out in this place called Jeffrey city in Wyoming. And it's kind of like a really small dot on the map, but, um, I was hanging out there with the horses, <laughs> trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I walked around to the front of the bar there because I'd seen that there was a little bit of grass out the back of the bar. I was going to see if I might be able to just chuck the horses there for a little bit while I got everything sorted out. And, um, I had a friend with me at that point and I'd gone across the road to this pottery shop and just walked in and said, Hey, so I've got a truck that's 55 miles down the highway. Do you happen to know of anyone that's going in the direction of Rollins that might be able to give one of us a lift to pick up that truck? And he's just like, I'll do it. Said, no questions oh, asked. Yeah, straight away. Just, I'll do it. I said, that's, that's a 110 mile round trip. Like that's, that's not little. He's like, yeah, cool. Let's go. Let's go right now. I'm like, all right. Sweet. I guess we're going to go get cool. the truck. <laughs> yeah. So I sent my friend off with him to go and get the truck. I had the horses and I walked around to the front of the bar to see if there's any way that I could just tie them up momentarily so I could go in and ask if I could use that section out the back. And there was a truck and trailer parked in there. And this guy comes out. His name's Dusty. And he's just amazing. Straight away, he's like, hey, hey, like, how are you? And it's like, hey, how are you going? He's like, you're Australian. <laughs> and like, I am. But he was just the best. He helped me. Um, so he held my horses for me. He said, is there anything that I can do to help? I'm like, yeah, just can you hold these for a second? And I just pretty much just gave him the lead ropes and just ran into the bar um, after having met him for 30 seconds prior and <laughs> chatted to the lady that owned the bar. She said that I could take the horses out the back, use her um, like use this little pasture that was out the back, which was really lovely. And then Dusty came out, held my horses while I set up my temporary electric fence and was great. And I was just chatting to him a little bit. And I just happened to mention, this is about 4 p.m. I just happened to mention, I'm like, yeah, I just want to get these horses settled. I want them fed. I want them watered because I haven't really eaten yet today. And I just, all I can think about is a burger from the bar. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) So he hung out with me for a bit, helped me get set up. And then he left and I untaxed the horses, got everything like squared away, went into the bar, ordered a bacon cheeseburger. And I was like, life is glorious. And I'd left my phone out the back with the horses. So I went to go and get that just so that my friend that was going to get his truck would be able to contact me when he came back. And as I was walking out the door, Dusty was back and he said, so I went home and he's got four sons. He's like, and the boys just wanted to meet you and we were worried that you were hungry. So we brought you dinner and they had like two big plates of food for me, complete with silverware. And he also brought Tupperware. He's like, just in case you don't want this right now, here's Tupperware. You can put it in there, keep it for tomorrow for lunch or whatever. And it just blew my mind that someone that I'd met, that I just did a passing comment of, oh, yeah, man, I'm really hungry. (laughs) Went home, got the kids. They wanted to come say hi and then just brought me dinner. And they, uh, they're just the loveliest humans. And I got the, um, I've got the address of the bar, so I'm going to write to them 
and just keep in touch and say thank you. But I mean, that's it's not really something that's just an everyday occurrence nowadays, like the kindness, the kindness of Isabel who owns the bar to just say, yep, don't worry about it. We'll put the horses in the back, do your thing, someone else to bring me dinner because I said I was hungry. And then it ended up that the horses that I meant to keep there for 90 minutes were still there halfway through the following day. <laughs> that's incredible. And, and it, I think it goes it goes back to community, right? And support mm-hmm. and the what seem to be small gestures having a huge impact, you know, in the, in the, the hundreds of thousands of miles that you've set out to travel in, in all of your journeys, you know, that small little moment in time made a huge impact, not only for your health, your mental health, the horse's health, right? Sense of community, sense of support, Mm -hmm. all working towards, you know, your, your greater goal of, of education and awareness of mental health. Yeah. And it's that, one of those things is like those little acts of kindness that might not be big to you. You have no idea of the impact you might have on someone else. And I don't know, coming, coming from the city, um, we don't have that real sense of community where I'm from. It's everyone's kind of got their own little bubble and it's kind of like a wall that you build up sometimes. It's like, keep out. Yeah. It's the hustle of life, right? Yeah, exactly. Your agenda is the most important and you just accomplish it. Yeah, and there's just like tiny little acts of kindness, just like that. Like it didn't take much out of their day to come and bring me food, but it made my day. And the other day when I was up um, in Lincoln in Montana, I was sitting with a friend at the bar and we um, had breakfast. I'd been helping with fencing. And one of the other guys at the bar paid for our breakfast. So we went to pay and he's like, oh, well, it's already been taken care of. I was like, what is this? This is so lovely. (laughs) (laughs) This never happens back home. What's happening to me right now? It just makes my day. But then I know I just said it, but you just go back to things like a tiny little act of kindness. It could really turn someone's day around. And you have no idea the battles that other people might be fighting that we know nothing about. That's an incredible point you make. And because everyone, it's so easy to put on a brave face and be like, cool, everything's great. It's a great day. And inside something or behind closed doors, you have no idea what's happening. And something like that, it can change someone's day. It changed my day. I'm getting goosebumps talking about all of these like lovely people that I've met. But yeah, you have no idea the impact that a tiny little gesture can make. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about kind of the remainder of your journey on the Continental Divide. And then I want to get into your website, your social media, and kind of how folks can support you in that regard. Because, I mean, all of us own horses, right, that are listeners to the to the show or maybe are aspiring to own horses. And uh, it all comes at a cost, right? It all takes, takes a, a family to support any given mission with horses. So let's talk about the remainder of your trail, and then we'll get into your how people can support you. Alrighty, so let me go back one step. The reason I'm doing the Continental Divide Trail this summer is because I did mean to do 3,300 miles back home and then the drought cut me off. And I was sitting there thinking, well, man, I quit my job for this. I can't just sit and twiddle my thumbs and wait for the rains to come because that, that could take a while. And so I, as a plan B, decided that, you know, I was going to come over here and do the Continental Divide Trail because one of my really good friends did it last year. And we've had very different years. So last year was an incredibly low snow year that made it so that she was able to ride through the San Juans in mid-June, which is almost unheard of. I 
don't quite have that luxury this year. The snowpack's still really, really deep, uh, which means I'm going to be flip-flopping all over the trail just trying to avoid snow. Uh, unfortunately, they don't make snowshoes for horses. <laughs> so, guys, if anyone's out there <laughs> that really wants to do that, then that would make life a lot, a lot easier. No, but um, so I'm across here doing that. But it, it was – this is something that you really should have a lot of planning for, ideally. You should be able to have, I feel, at least a year to be able to plan everything out. And um, I decided that I was going to do the CDT right before I started my trail in Australia. Uh, so looking at the drought conditions, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do the entire stretch in Australia like I was hoping to. And so I thought, you know what, plan B, I'm going to go over to the States and do the CDT. However, future me can deal with that. So I'm going to do this right in Australia and then future me can sort that out when I get out the other end. Um, probably not my brightest moment. I was going to say, and none of that took place. <laughs> no, none of that took place. <laughs> so I, I, finished, um, I finished my first 600-mile ride. It was give or take, around about 600 miles. I did just over 1,000 Ks. And um, then I had, I think, six weeks in between finishing that ride, getting my horses back home, going into the consulate, getting a visa, doing all the interviews, sorting out my flight, sorting out travel insurance, just trying to sort out my life and then heading over to the States. So I got here at the end of February. And so I've pretty much had February, so March, April and May, not even because I started the trail in mid-May. So kind of two and a half months to plan a 2000 mile ride. And it's it's been a lot, but it is amazing what you can do when you don't have a choice. Yeah, and I found that out on trail as well. There are a couple of things that when I was out in Australia that I would never have done, but um, I didn't have a choice, so I just got on and I did them. There were a couple of places uh, back home that I probably wouldn't take horses up and down, and I don't want to take horses up and down again. There was one day, I will never forget it, it was my first day that I had a trail tantrum. And when I say tantrum, I didn't physically stamp my feet and like turn oh, into a four-year-old. There's but... nobody out on the trail to refute that story anyway, so. <laughs> oh my gosh, there was one, and it was like a really big day. And my one of my main riding horses, she wasn't lame, but she was just off. And so I didn't really want to ride her. I let her just follow along. So I, um, I walked. It was around about a 25-mile 20, day. I reckon I would have walked about 23 miles of it. And this is like up and down, some really, really steep stuff. So it took me four hours to do the first six miles. And so I got to the top of this mountain and I'd been walking. I was wearing riding boots, which, you know, riding boots. I was I had Ariat ropers on. And they're not exactly meant to be used for hilly hiking. Um, and I got up the top of this hill. I still had about 19 miles left to go. My pack horse, you know, one of those days where just everything wasn't quite going right. He was kind of being really, really pushy. It was a super hot day. Um, going up that really steep hill, I'd run out of water cause I'd given my horses all my water. Uh, so I was like, well, you guys seem to be working harder than me. Yes. And so he was pushing past me. He was being like grass. And then one of my other horses was pigged to him. So he then pulled her almost like over the top of me. I was trying to look at feed and make sure like to see if there was something actually wrong with her. 
And I just looked at the sky and knew I had about 19 miles left to go up and down the super steep stuff. And it was steep. Like, I was sliding down shale. Oh, wow. And I was just, I looked at the sky. I was like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> this is so dumb. You're such an idiot. And I couldn't do anything and I couldn't come off trail, even if I, I mean, let's be honest, I wouldn't have, but I yeah. couldn't because yeah. I was on top of a mountain and there's no way out except continuing down the trail. I, I can't imagine some of the challenges that it, you know you face out there on the trail, but uh, so much of it is foreshadowing or representation of life, right? Sometimes we're put mm -hmm. in positions that there's no way out but to hit a challenge head on, you know, and we've touched on it many times in this story and many times in episodes before, but you just focus on the next stride and do your best at that and you string enough of those together, you get where you need to get. Yeah, exactly. And um, one of the things that I've found since I've been doing this, and I, I come across some really, really great, great inspirational quotes every now and then. And funnily enough, two of the people that seem to have infinite amounts of wisdom are Will Smith and Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> yeah, I know. Probably not, not the two people that I would initially go to for inspirational quotes, but they are amazing. And there's something that Will Smith said that I've really hung on to. He's like, when you, you don't go out to build like the biggest, best wall of all time, you start out with laying one single brick and you're like, you know what? I'm going to lay this brick as perfectly as a brick can be laid. And then you start at the next one. And I think that's really, it's so good. And it's not just with big goals like this. It's just with everything. It can be with relationships or it can be with like projects. And you're like, you know what? I'm not going to look at the massive picture because that's really intimidating. If I looked at the entire 2000 miles that I'm trying to do this summer on horseback, I would spend the rest of the day curled up in the fetal position yes. watching Netflix. So overwhelming. Yeah. So I started with my little section in Wyoming and now I'm looking forward to my next section in Montana. I'm going to start, um, Halfway through June is my next section. I'll start on about the 18th from Butte and I'll head north up to the border. And that's a section that I'm concentrating on hard right now. I've got everything planned. I know every campsite, every water source, every backup campsite, just in case I don't make the mileage that day that I need. I know where my truck's going to be for resupplying. I know everything. And I've looked through all of the maps. I've looked through satellite maps and topo maps to make sure that my campsites are flat and they look good. And I've talked to people in the area and, but that's my little, that's like laying my single brick, yeah, if you will. Absolutely. It's incredible. So let's talk about your website, greengoldandblues.com. That's um, the one. Let's talk about what information's on it. And then I want to talk about social media avenues that people can follow your journey. Yeah. So the website, let me just start by saying that I have never made a website before. And this thing was a source of a little bit of frustration. I think it looks tears. good. Not quite. <laughs> I think it looks it, good. Hey, fake it till you make it. Exactly. You know? and, but on there, you can find out what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and some information about the trails and some information about some really, really brilliant not-for-profits that I'm trying to support at the moment. Uh, while I'm out there riding horses, those guys are out on the ground helping people and making a huge difference every day. So I'm really, really happy to be helping them out. I've got two not-for-profits that I really, really love the work that they're doing. One of them is Beyond Blue over in Australia, and the other one is NAMI over here in the States, which is the National Alliance for Mental Illness. And 
both of those guys are just incredible. They've made such a huge impact in the mental health space. So I'm simultaneously fundraising for them while I am writing and trying to get the conversation going. So there's just information about those guys there as well as, um, yeah, just general information. We've lost it. And I think for the listeners, if if going through and listening to Jody's story, you know, you believe in intermission and her cause, um, I do encourage you to visit those websites. I do believe supporting NAMI and Beyond Blue as a as a great cause. And like Jody said, you know, you're supporting people that are putting boots on the ground and trying to affect change. So let's talk about your social media follows along Green, Gold, and Blues and, and kind of documents some of your journey. Yeah, so the main avenue that I put all my information out on is Instagram. Uh, so with Instagram, what I tried to do on my last ride is just put a one-minute video up from every day on trail and just like, I want to say quick. They ended up getting quite large, but a quick note on what happened that day. Uh, and then throughout that, I also update my stories on Instagram a fair bit and then you get a lot of content that I don't end up putting on my actual page um, I'm not sure why that is. And then I will automatically share everything that I post to Instagram on Facebook. However, if you want like quirky stories and just me making a fool of myself, then that's probably going to be Instagram. So, so not only information, but entertainment in the same regard. Yeah? Well, look, I don't want to promise anything. <laughs> I don't want to set those expectations too high. <laughs> oh, I think it's incredible. Jody. I thank you very much for coming on the show and, and taking time for us in between your stretches. I would love to have you back on the show, you know, once you've kind of finished your Continental Divide journey. I know we did not get a chance to talk about Australian country music, which you so promised me. Uh, so oh, we're going to have to follow will. up in that regard in, in additional <laughs> episodes. But uh, I thank you for everything that you're doing. I think it's absolutely incredible how you take such tragic circumstances. You yourself find the fortitude to stand up and affect change. Um, you're doing it in your own regard. I think it's marvelous what you're trying to take on. And I will very much enjoy watching your journey and living successes vicariously through you. I think it's incredible. Oh, thank you so much for having me. We'll talk to you down the road, Jody. Have a good one. Sounds like a plan. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.